Dear listeners, welcome to the Create to Heal podcast, where we have conversations from the heart about life and leadership. Each episode, we explore what creativity and healing means to our invited guests. We invite people from all walks of life to join us, from all industries and all experiences. We always use poetry and creativity to engage audience participation. We look forward to connecting with you and sharing your gems of joy. Hey, everyone. I'm Patricia Varga. And I'm Melody Wong. And we are your co-hosts. Welcome to another episode of the Create to Heal podcast. In this episode, we are so excited to be speaking with our wonderful guest, Gabrielle B. Don't forget the B. McLean. The reason I say this is because I want everyone to go to her website when you have time and look at her incredible paintings. So it's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E-B-M-C-L-E-A-N.com. Since we're not a visual medium, you got to go. You got to go. And I'm so fortunate that on my last trip to Southern California, I was visiting in Costa Mesa area, a good friend of mine from high school, Bill Lewis and his incredible wife, Katie. And they said, oh, I wonder, maybe, maybe Gabrielle would like to meet Patricia, the crazy one. <laughs> she came over for dinner. We had a delightful time. And I was so fortunate because she invited me to uh, see her 4,000 square foot studio in Costa Mesa. We went there the next day and I was blown away as you all will be blown away. So what does Gabrielle do? Gabrielle is a professional painter who specializes in large scale art. And when you go to her website under the about tab, the first thing that you'll notice is a little tab, a little sub tab that says what I do. And she says, I create. So I'm going to leave it at there, turn it over to Gabrielle and let her tell you about her background, her story, what she loves to do, her passions, and let it rip. Gabrielle, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, it's an honor, seriously. Um, and with that intro, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I could talk for hours. Um, okay, so let me think. What did you say? You said my story. You can tell our well, audience anything you want. Okay, so I guess for for this audience on a um, the Create to Heal podcast, I'd like to actually say that art saved my life when I was a kid. And what I mean by that is um, to get it out of the way, just for people, I don't have, um, I've been a professional painter now for over 30 years. I don't have a degree in art. I have a degree in political science. And the reason why is because I never wanted to be an artist. When I was a child, I would draw. And this is part of the reason I never wanted to be an artist, a professional artist, because I used drawing as a child, never painting. I didn't paint until I was an adult. Um, uh, but I would draw in my room for hours on end. And I I drew very specific things. Um, this will date me, but I'm, I, I would draw Garfield and Duran Duran and um, I'm obsessed with Duran Duran and, um, and horses. So the point is, is that I, I grew up with a, um, an insecure and a chaotic childhood in some ways. And, and it has to do with my healing, actually, in the sense that my dad, when I was very young, got sick and he was then sick on and off again for the next 10 years before he died when I was 12. 
And the point is, is that my coping, I had two coping mechanisms as a child, well, three actually, but two constructive ones. I also, um, I would eat compulsively, which that was not a, um, a coping mechanism that was healthy, but the other two, one was drawing and one was horseback riding or just being around horses. I would muck stalls for people. I would do whatever I could just to be around them. And, but the drawing was a way to, and I didn't know it at the time, but it was a way to settle my mind. It was a way to kind of take a reprieve from things I had no control over. And so I did have control over how, how good I, I use that word, like good, I could draw and I would get kudos you know, from people who would see me draw. And I've since, I was creative in the traditional sense and I never thought of myself as creative. I mean, in my career, like I said, over 30 years, it's only been in the last 12 years or so that I've even called myself an artist. Before that, I would call myself a technician. I would call myself an artisan. Anyway, so yeah, so I used that as a way to calm myself. And and then I got into high school and I took a couple art classes and still, then I thought, I don't ever want to be a professional artist because I didn't want to be told what to do. And I'm not sure why this happened, but I had it in my mind that artists worked for Disney and that they, and I'd heard stories about how you just sat in a cubicle and you were told what to draw repeatedly. You didn't have any say, there was nothing, you weren't allowed to draw what you wanted. And that didn't sound good to me at all. And honestly, and now I think back on it, I don't know why it didn't occur to me to ask or listen to anybody who might've said there are other you know, creative outlets besides murals. So, I mean, not besides murals, I'm sorry, besides but drawing in a cubicle somewhere. So then I went to school and um, it was very important to me that I do something that I would never have to worry about making a living. So I started out as a physical training to be a physical therapist and probably I'm maybe a year in and I'd taken a lot of biology classes and worked on human cadavers and it was all fascinating to me, but I realized it was very closed-ended. Like it, there was a certain amount of knowledge and, and then I would just be doing that for the rest of my career. And I realized that I, that wasn't something I was interested in. And around the same time, um, somebody had approached me through a friend of a friend who said, you know, do you want to paint for me? Do you want to paint? Um, I, I, I own a mural company and I could use some help. And I had nothing to lose at the time. And I said, well, I can't paint. He said, well, if you can draw, I'll teach you how to paint. You can paint. It's just, it's just a technique. You just learn about the paint. I said, okay. So I, I took that first job and he gave me a marker drawing of, um, it was, it was of this train station. It was this huge mural. And he said, okay, make the painting. It was on panels in his studio, make the painting look like the drawing. And I thought he was serious. And what I mean by that is I took it literally. So I I looked at this, what was um, an alcohol marker drawing, and I tried to make that translation to paint. And I stressed myself out so much. I was, I was in tears. I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to quit. It was so hard. He gave me so little direction in my recollection. And we're, we're friends to this day, so I can say this. And I just, I said, I'm quitting. I, that's it. I can't do it. And then he... I mean, I went to Home Depot and was finding stuff that I could recreate. It was really, in hindsight, it was, it was great, actually, but it was so stressful. So he gives it to the client and the client, so I said, oh, I've got to tell him I'm going to quit as soon as this job's over. And then he gave it to the client and said, oh, they love it. And I said, they love it? And he's like, yeah, they really loved it. I was like, okay, I'm going to quit after the next job, for sure, after the next job that he gives me. So I ended up working for him for three years. And, and then I lived in Northridge when the 94 earthquake hit. And so my apartment was destroyed, his business it wasn't destroyed ultimately, but it definitely, it took a hit because we worked primarily in hospitals. And 
and then I made a decision. I graduated that year and I made, you know, I had to make a decision if I was going to graduate school or if I was going to become an artist, this, this profession that I said I never wanted to do. And by that point I had three years and I loved my job. Like I loved it. I just never took it seriously in the sense of like, well, I'm not, I don't know how to make a living doing this, but I love it. So I cold called, I decided to try to be an artist and I cold called a bunch of designers and sent them pictures and, and um, interviewed with them, the ones that wrote back or called back and living in my mom's house, because like I said, my apartment was destroyed. And within three months, I was, I was overbooked with just two designers. And so that was the start of my career. And then probably we'll see my son is 13 now. So about 15 years, 14 years ago, I made the transition. I moved down to Orange County to get married. And I was still driving all over Southern California to do murals. But when I got pregnant and then gave birth, that was not tenable to me anymore. And, you know, as luck would have it and the universe, actually, I met a designer and she asked me if I could paint something, this watercolor. And I had never painted a watercolor. So I said, yes, of course. You know, and she said, and so she gave me the, the drawing or the, the watercolor image. And I went home to my studio, or to my garage at the time. And I, I created something long story short, she ended up really liking it. And then because she said, I have some, I have some showrooms and I thought maybe we could sell it in there. And I thought, great, that would be repeat income. And then I wouldn't have to drive anyway, that relationship blossomed. And so I eventually got the studio that I have now just one side, I have two. And, and then about seven years having one studio, the studio adjacent to me opened up. And I, at the time wanted to start heartfelt play, which is this, it was a place where people could be creative without holding on to the results. And I tried to take as many limiting factors away so that people could really be free, meaning that I did not, they, there was no size of paper. There was the walls they could paint on. There was the floor. There was no, I gave them no samples of things to um, try to make something look like it wasn't, we weren't, we weren't all painting the same thing. I just gave them art supplies and I started out with kids and then I, I transitioned more to adults and teenagers. And I really loved it. And I don't have an idea. So then I would start designing and, and creating things. And so I've kind of gone off in that direction. Anyway, that's the long and the short of it. So now I'm kind of doing, you know, I'm doing um, a variety of things. I still have some people in the studio sometimes. Um, I'm also a Gallup strengths coach. So I work with people. I will have them take the assessment and then we will we'll have some sessions. And then I actually have them create a piece of artwork based on their strengths and based on personal stuff that's that we can work on and work through, which has been super satisfying. Yeah, I think that's there you go. I just gave you the wow, the little <laughs> wow, nugget. Wow. Yeah, the two cent tour. I think it was the $10 million tour. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. There you I go. I have a question, and I, I bet you Melody does too, before we get into our three uh standard questions that we always ask on the Create the Hill podcast. So I know you have some remarkable clients. Uh, I was just poking around your website and went, do you want to share (laughs) some of these clients? Can you, well, if they're on the website, I guess it's public knowledge. I can if they're on the website. You've, you've worked with world renowned people. So I'll shut up and you tell us. I have, you know what? Okay. So let's see. I have worked with, I've worked with Paul Reiser and I've worked with Eddie Murphy and I've worked with, yeah. And I've worked with, Cedar Sinai. And actually, it's interesting because the Cedar Sinai, it, it, hmm, what do I say about them? 
I tend to, I can't think of a single, uh, no, actually, with almost no exception, everybody I work with is extraordinarily nice. And, and most of them are shy, actually, very shy. And, and just wonderful people. And I'm usually the, the work that I've done for most of the people on my website, um, our children's rooms, John Travolta, um, they're they're when their kids were little. And sometimes I even come back, add names when they have more kids. Um, I did that with a couple of the people and, you know, just different things. Or if they need something, one of the clients had, uh, had remarried or at least had a new partner and she was from Australia. So we redid some stuff with some wombats and some koalas and things. And it was really fun just to bring in, you know, some of her home country. And I have worked with some very well-known people for sure. Yeah. That's remarkable. And some of them, I have to say, I can't, <laughs> they're, uh, they're, I can't, they're, I'm not allowed to say it. That's I've okay. Non-disclosure. But yeah, I've, right. I've worked with great people. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, I'll turn it over to Melody before we get into the first question, which you've already started to address. Great. Um, thank you so much, Gabrielle, for your story. <laughs> that was so phenomenal. I was hanging on to every word. Um, oh, I really love hearing about everyone's pivotal moments. And um, it seems that you've had quite a few. One of them was when your <laughs> friend said, do you want to paint for me? And you felt you had nothing to lose, even though you couldn't paint at the time. And then your other pivotal moment was when you decided to go into your artist path as opposed to grad school. So how did you decide to go on that path, such a phenomenally different path than grad school? That's a great question. I, I decided to go on that path, honestly, at the time, because I loved it more that when grad school came up, a lot of people assumed that I would be a lawyer, which I didn't know that when I, when I um, got a degree in political science, I actually wanted to do a degree. It was a self-made degree or a self-prescribed degree in international human rights. And through course restrictions, that didn't happen. So in order to graduate, I, I dropped it to political science. So I never wanted to be a lawyer. So when I found out that a lot of people who have political science degrees become lawyers, that gave me pause. And I think at the time, had I thought, oh, I want to be an artist, I might have seriously considered uh, graduate school for art. But again, I wasn't I wasn't in a place where I thought I was an artist. So that honestly didn't even occur to me. But But I'd had this experience of painting murals for hospitals. I mean, uh, the stories... The stories of that I've heard over the years of how my artwork has impacted kids, mainly because the it was all kids stuff, mainly. Um, and it's super satisfying. So the thing that I want to say, and I don't know how this applies to anybody else, so I'm just going to speak for myself. I now see it as a blessing that I didn't think of myself as an artist for all those years, even though sometimes I really wish I had an art degree. Um, and the reason why is because... I, I felt almost naive saying this, but it was, it was, I just painted because I loved it and people were paying me to paint and draw what, like there was this collaboration. And again, I didn't take credit for any of the collaboration. I felt like I was just giving them what they wanted, but it allowed, there was this liberation from that because not taking responsibility for it and just saying, I'm just giving them what they want allowed me a certain amount of freedom where I didn't have this existential angst that I was trying to say something with my art or I was trying to sell art to an unknown buyer. Like I had buyers. It was almost like this backdoor. If somebody had said, paint, getting paid to paint is so hard. Most people never achieve it, no matter how hard they try. I don't know that I would have tried, but I had, I walked in 
getting paid. And I was so, that was so naive. I didn't, it didn't occur to me to think about how amazing it was. And so now, and this goes to your first question about what it means to be creative. But for me, I feel like, uh, I'm, I'm not even sure how to describe this, but I now have a skill set that allows me to express myself. And so when I want to express myself in one way, I can draw from that pretty extensive skill set at this point after 30 years. And so I'm free to play in a way that I don't think I ever gave myself. It was about control and about like um, meditation when I was younger and drawing. And just if, if I could show you, I mean, it's not a visual space, but the drawings that I did as a child, they were, or as a teenager, they were pointillism. They were tiny, tiny little marks because that's what I needed to calm my brain. And now, again, you might, if anybody looks at my website, I don't do tiny marks. I'm all over, you know, I'm big brush marks. And so, and that's just, um, that's the natural progression, I think, of my own healing. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I just, I think that I didn't go in the front door. I went in the back door. I just, I, I knew what I loved to do and I was making a decent living. So why not? Like, I don't know. It, I didn't think too much about it. That's <laughs> phenomenal. I love I, that. I love <laughs> that. Well, you, you brought us beautifully to the first question because uh, one of the little gems of joy I picked out is the freedom to play. So let's just jump right into the first question. What is creativity to you? Okay, so I'm so grateful that you guys gave me the questions beforehand so I can think about them. Um, this one, and you know what? I realized for me, creativity is the choices that I make. And, and it's also, I say this so often, it's one of my mission statements in Heartfelt Play. Again, it's just everybody is creative. So when I wake up in the morning and I decide and this is maybe sound trivial, but it's it's not to me. And that is, do I wear this earring or do I wear that earring? And I might be going to the studio by myself. Like I don't intend to see anybody. And I still, you know, I put on earrings if I feel like it. And I I will put on, you know, different colored socks if I want. I think that creativity is in every choice because as long as you have a choice, like to make whatever it is that you eat, how you present your food, whether you you eat on cloth napkins or whether you eat paper napkins or you eat over the sink. It doesn't sound like it's maybe, um, it's not professionally creative, but it is psychologically creative. It's spiritually creative. We are, this is how we live our life. Our life is, a, it's, a, it's an accumulation of these tiny moments. And I, which is interesting to me when I say it like that, because I really believe it. And yet, like I said, I spent the ma majority of my life saying I wasn't creative and even when I was making a living, which still just stuns me when I say that. And I remember vividly feeling like that. I'm not creative. Um, I'm just tools. I'm just a pair of hands. And now I'm like, look at me. I'm creative. I put the lettuce on the right side of the plate, not the left side of the plate. Look at me, man. That's a good choice. And so, you know, compositionally, it looks good. You know, I just play with that um, like daily and even moment to moment. And yeah, you, you so said something profound. Life is a series of creative choices. And you, as you, you so eloquently said, you can wake up in the morning, walk into your closet and just go and look, oh, how do I want to express myself today? What colors do I want? I play around in the closet for a good five minutes going, I don't know, maybe it's going to be all black. And I'm going to have a leopard print scarf, <laughs> something crazy like that. And then I pick the jewelry and it's like, to your point, this is for me. This is fun. This isn't because I'm going 
going to impress someone. This is because I want to make these choices. And and I will say, absolutely. I will say that extends to pajamas and t-shirts. Like I'm not, I don't dress up that often and I love dressing up occasionally. I would not want to do it every day, but I'm talking about which paint stained t-shirt shirt does do I feel represents me today and sometimes it's a really big t-shirt because I'm having like a not a very feel good day and sometimes it's a cute little tight t-shirt it doesn't it, my point is is again going to the studio by myself nobody's gonna see me it's just about my it's my expression so when so I think sometimes there's this I think sometimes there's this tendency to think oh well that person's creative because she wears all these outlandish outfits every day and oh I'm just not that's not me and it's like right you can be creative when we're black like you still got choices between that black outfit and that black outfit like it's still creative it doesn't have to be outlandish or bright or in people's faces it can be just for you different different kind of undergarments like it doesn't matter it's for it's the choices you make here's the other thing that I really wanted to say was that when you make, when you start giving yourself permission to be creative in these tiny ways, I do believe this is my own experience that it has, it gives me permission to be creative on the bigger things in life because I've gotten used to and familiar and, and have felt the results experience, the the feeling good and the feeling in at home in my own skin or in my own body or you know, wearing whatever clothes I wear, then when it comes to a bigger decision where there's bigger risk at being creative, um, I feel more comfortable doing that. And I don't think I could do that if I didn't, you know, like I, I know we weren't recording, but the way that I prepared for this, you know, podcast was to sing Dolly Parton's nine to five on repeat for like 15 minutes. And that was my way of, you know, that was my way of, I can't sing you guys. I cannot sing. And so, but it's my way of just going, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm singing, I'm letting it all go. And nobody saw me, nobody, I don't know if they saw me, but they didn't hear me. And my point is, is I think that when you make these little decisions, you know, singing in your car, then, then it's only one step, it, you're one step closer to being able to make the bigger decisions in your work life or your personal life or your, you know, whatever, or friends or whatever. I, I, I think it's a new, I think it, it's a stepping stone, these little decisions. That totally resonates with me. Our choice is so me empowering. Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't really stop to think about it. What a privilege it is to have choice as human beings, you know, mm. paving your own destiny, creating moments of joy to nurture your soul. And then Gabrielle, like you mentioned, when you give yourself permission in these smaller things, you start to trust yourself a little bit more and who and what you're being led by. And that's very liberating. It's very empowering. It's incredibly liberating. And I feel like sometimes we think there's these big moments in our life, like a change of job or a change in relationship or whatever. So we wait for those, the feeling that we get from those big changes when it's like, but if you have these little changes throughout the day, your life feels so much more satisfying. Like you have so much more control and you have so much more access to joy. If like you say, the gems of joy, like you can have 50 of those in a day. You can have a hundred of them in a day. Like nobody, I don't care if you have a job that you hate, you can find joy in a job that you hate. You just have to look and you have to be committed really um, to seeing how small you can go. It's like the gratitude practice. And so I think that it really gives you more a sense of, um, I don't know, not command, but, but like agency over your own responses to your life um, at the small level, even if the big level isn't exactly the way you want it. Yeah. 
I have to jump in for just a second. And uh, I wrote down what Melody was saying about who and what you are led by. Who, what is your creative muse? Who and what are you led by? I mean, we've talked about so many things. Is there just a, a little, a little succinct saying or... Uh, you and I both do the same thing where we start bait with stuff and then we get down to the essence or the core of something. Um, who and what are you led by? Do you have a muse? Do you, you know, is it your instincts? Is it your higher power? God, is it? Oh, well, um, it's okay. So yes, I have two. I have, um, I do have a, I do, I do have a sense of God. I do have, um, I do have a relationship with a higher power. And in addition to that, which I think is connected is, um, and you had a guest on Mikey who said this, whereas what's, what's his North star. And I've been thinking about that. My North star is community. It's relationship with oneself and that relationship you then take, that's the core is your relationship with yourself. And then you're able to be a member of a community um, and that community could be the world community, the environmental community, the political community, the, you know, your farmer's market community. It doesn't matter. I just think, so my North Star is what can I do to foster? And my artwork is a part of that, actually. Like my relationship, I say community, but relationship is a is a core tenant of that. And um, my relationship with the designers that I work with, they're not just any designers. I I have relationships with them and then I'm able to create for them. Um, and then my, my friends and everybody relationship is absolutely essential. So my relationship with my art, um, what I want to say communication through some of my own artwork. Um, yeah, so that would be the, my muse is, is a sense of being in community. Um, yeah, being in community, even though I spend a lot of time alone, that's not the type of community I'm, I'm talking about necessarily. I wish I could tell our listeners just how joyful this is for us. I mean, I'm just cracking up here, even though I'm on mute most of the time. <laughs> what, oh you've my gosh, so beautifully, what you've done so oh beautifully, what you've done so invited us to play. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh. I just think you can't be too serious because otherwise it's just, I mean, ah, oh, it's too limiting to be too serious. I, I love right. what you said when you were mentioning loving others as yourself and then first coming to a sense of knowing yourself and what you stand for and then bringing that to the larger community. And I think with you um, and everyone that you come into contact with, Gabrielle, you have a sense of knowing what's important to them and then you're able to honor that. Um, through your art mm. and through your communication and um, connection. So that's always very appreciated. Thanks for saying that. Thank you. I've worked hard. <laughs> yes, you have. Yeah. Yes, you have. Okay, I'm going to let Melody take question number two. Okay, wonderful. Um, thanks, um, Gabrielle, for touching upon this earlier, but we wanted you to expand on our second question for our podcast, which is, what is healing to you? So what is healing to me is, um, it's twofold, it's understanding, and then it's acceptance. And I think only through acceptance can you move, then can you move on, as it were, or move past whatever the trauma is or the, the wound. And for me, what that looks like is, I'll use the example of my dad. And he, he, like I said, he died when I was 12. 
And there were circumstances to his death that I didn't understand and very, very painful because as a kid, I just didn't understand. I didn't have the tools to understand. So I, I spent probably the next 12 or 13 years trying to understand in a variety of ways, some of them conscious, some of them unconscious, um, and, and including, you know, therapy or whatever. I mean, just a lot of stuff, um, spiritual, different, a variety of different spiritual practices because I was trying to, um, I was just trying to find, I, I was trying to understand. So at the end of that, some things happened and I finally felt like I understood. And it was only after understanding that my dad was where he was when he, he died and he could only be the person he was and it wasn't necessarily what I needed. Then I was able to accept what happened and that, you know, the pain wasn't intentional and that it is a part of me now. And, and I've gotten, and, and so I worked with the acceptance for quite a while. And does it still cause me pain that I don't have a dad? Absolutely. Do I, have I gotten to a place where I can honestly say one of the biggest gifts he ever gave me was dying. And I say that because of everything that I have become in part because of that visceral experience of having somebody so close to you die so young. So, and, and like I said, it took a long time. So healing for me, like I said, is just, it's about understanding and then accepting, including all the gifts that come from sometimes the wounds as well, the scars at this point. So that's what healing is to me. That's beautiful. I'm going to let Melody comment because she has a similar story uh, in a way. But I, I, I'm going to rip you off, my friend. Healing is dot, 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 understanding and acceptance. There's a message in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ripping you off. I'm taking that. It's going to be on That's all it. the social media outlets. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> I love that. Every, yeah, I love that. All right, Melody. Yes, that was poignant. Um, thank you so much for sharing vulnerably with us. Um, I know when you're trying to make sense of grief and tragedy, it's never easy. Um, that path, you know, sometimes it hardens people and then other times it leads to greater empathy, which it seems that's what you have really um, uh, garnered and nurtured in yourself. Um, I like that you said that this kind of allows you to move through it, move past it while still honoring that part of you and how it's shaped you, the person you've become and the person that you are becoming. Um, that That is a way to honor those parts of us that, um, that cause us to need healing. And it, it's, mm. it's certainly, you know, um, it's, it's never easy, but it is, um, I think something that is so sacred because we each mm. go on that path and your path is so special. You know, when you mention your art and horses, those coping mechanisms that you had and that you clung to that really saved your life. Like that is so profound um, because you just clung to the beauty in the world, right? To help you make sense of what mm. was left of your world, however fragmented it was at the time. And I think your strength is just 
radiant it just comes out of you mm-hmm. and those that you encounter really pick up on that and mm-hmm. it gives them the permission to do the same and that is very mm-hmm. very special yes crazy begets crazy <laughs> wow and it's crazy <laughs> in the most profound loving beautiful spectacular way it's just wow energy energy oh. personified in your beautiful body so there you go yeah 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 (laughs) oh man wow thanks and i think it's funny because i never thought about it till just now when you said that melody that i I clung to the beauty and i did and i've never i've never articulated it in that that way but that's absolutely true i mean i can just still i remember what it felt like to be a kid sitting in my room all by myself drawing i mean i was just i was clinging I was clinging hard and I didn't feel it at the time. It was just the only thing I knew how to do, but you're right. That's a great way to describe it. So thanks for that. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think it's, it's a good thing to mention uh, how remarkable Melody is in her poetry. Um, uh, Melody, would you tell us a little more? Cause we don't often talk about your poetry, but I know it comes from a, a deep sacred place. Mm, thank you for that. Um, it's funny because I haven't written anything in almost a year um, after I went through the birth of my daughter. I had postpartum psychosis, and I just kind of shut myself off and um, did not allow myself to write anything new. But just a couple of weeks ago, I heard God prompting me to write a poem and I was like okay Lord um what do you want me to write about and then he told me to write about this experience that I had um I call it a divine encounter which um I might share it actually I might share it in the flow portion of this podcast but I yes please do please do please and um I was just like okay it's time and like Gabrielle you mentioned I did not think about the outcome I just let it rip and um took me a few minutes and then I went back and kind of cleaned it up a bit but it was mostly an intact poem and um it was one of the pivotal moments of my life so just to share with our listeners the year before my postpartum psychosis I had a molar pregnancy which for those of you that don't know, um, it is something that affects one out of a thousand women in the US. And essentially, um, instead of a baby, even though you, you, you're technically the sperm fertilized egg, um, it becomes a cluster of tumors. So I, I won't get into it, but um, if it goes the other way, like if the HCG levels start to increase, then you're at a risk for this very aggressive form of cancer. And so, you know, instead of a baby, you're left with tumors, then you're supposed to have a DNC and, um, and then have blood draws every month just to make sure your HCG levels go down and they call it the perpetual miscarriage. So that was my loss um, the year prior to the postpartum psychosis. And as my best friend tells me, pregnancy really hit you to the extreme and I said yes it did 
So going back to the divine encounter is what I'm seeing is um, God led me to reach out to a stranger at um, at a fast food place and asked if I could pray for her. And without hesitation, she said, sure, and told me that she had suffered a molar pregnancy. And it just hit me like, oh, my goodness, I know that God was leading me to this other beautiful soul who experienced the same heartache, the same grief, the same loss that I did and just prayed right then and there, you know, for healing and for just restoration. Um, So that was what the poem was about. And to me, it was just one of those instances that really stuck in my mind because prior to my molar pregnancy, I hadn't even heard about the phrase, um, my best friend, who's a pharmacist, never heard of it. She's like, molar, like tooth. But um, yeah, it's there's just there are just things in this world where you, um, you know, you, you you can't make sense of it, but you are led, led by the spirit. And um, yeah, I'm, that's a long winded answer to your question, Patricia, about poetry. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I will write poetry when I'm led to write. Um, otherwise, I'll just have a dry spell. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> well, you've led us beautifully, both of you, to the third and final question. Can I just our... say something real quick? Oh, yes, please. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm um, Patricia, I just, Melody, I want to say something. It's not a dry spell. It's a grieving spell. And I think that there's things happening. It's just not, it's like, bamboo that grows for six years underground before it shoots you know can shoot up a foot a day um it sounds like you're you're growing roots and you're tending and you're nourishing and you're you're rebuilding so it's not i i and and it's still none of my business but it it doesn't feel like a dry spell to me it feels like necessary work that's not you can't see it above the ground right now but it doesn't mean it's not happening just my two cents. Well, that's again, $2 million worth of cents. <laughs> that was eloquent, beautiful, profound. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. that. That yeah. really resonates with me. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I love the image of the bamboo, which is lithe and limber and uh, strong yet flexible. And um, which is what women are, you know, lithe, limber, strong, flexible. Oh. We have to be. And uh, anyway, uh, our third question, what is the divine to you, Gabrielle? So I had to think about this one too, because I don't usually use that word. Um, so I was thinking, what is, you know, what, what's a word I do use? And I realized that I'm mm, not constantly aware, but I'm, I'm aware that our language is, it, it's so lame when it's trying to describe the divine, like we just don't have the language. And I don't think we have the, the the conscious understanding to really get an accurate sense with our minds, who God is and who the divine is. And for me, it's the universe and it's, it's God. And however you want to claim it, these are all words that we're using to describe something that's essentially indescribable. And the closest that I get, when you were asking earlier in the podcast about my, you know, my muse, and God is not my muse. He is, or she is, um, 
is this it's this spark inside of me that I think we all have actually that um it 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 sparkles, it hums, it vibrates, it pokes, it does things that I now know to listen to. And so, and it could be as simple as you need to take a left here to go home. Don't go straight. I'm like, okay, I'm taking left. I'm going to take the alternative way home. And I will never know why, but I, I have faith that there was a reason. And sometimes I see the reason I've, I have, um, there's been occasion where I've helped people who have been in distress on that alternate way home or, um, who knows what I've missed. So, or when I hit 15 red lights. I'm like, okay, there's a reason I'm not supposed to be where I'm going before 15 red lights. And that to me is the divine speaking. Um, again, as with the gems of joy and what it means to be creative, my divine is in the small things as well as the big things. Um, because a beautiful sunset that is divine, it's sublime to me, but it's also, you know, the um the little things. Like I I take care of these. I'm involved in a rescue and I take care of these little, these little frogs and I, I create homes for them and um, they bring me joy and they are, they remind me that I am not the center of the universe. These creatures exist through no, nothing on my part. Like they were their their species was here before I was here. They'll be here after I'm gone, you know, God willing. And I, I'm just, I get to be, they remind me their gift to me is that they remind me that there is divine, right? So my divine is it's, it's just woven into pretty much every small aspect of my life at this point. Um, yeah, it's a very, it's a very pedestrian definition of divine. Like I don't, I don't have these on holier than thou on high divines. I'm like, nope, God's in the soil, you know, God's in the dirt, God's in the interactions, God's in the anger, God's in the peace, God's in the love. Like that's, that's, that's God is in the blue frog, so, yeah. which I met. <laughs> I met the frogs. The frogs are gorgeous. <laughs> you did. <laughs> There's a blue They're frog. So, oh, I just, they bring me so much joy. <laughs> he is. He's blue. He just, she's just kicking it. She's like, whatever. Be in her blue self. I just love it. Yeah. It makes me so happy. Anyway. <laughs> so that's divine for me. I know really. I'm cracking up all over again. So um i'm gonna i'm gonna turn it over to melody because uh, i know she's got some beautiful things to say no no it's it's so interesting that you were talking about that voice of the divine and just being so receptive um and it seems like you just follow it so um willingly like turn right here and you just don't question it um because you know that voice has not led you astray and so you take that risk, you um, are led by that voice, the spirit. And I think you're right. Everyone has that divine spark in them. That's why we're able to recognize each other and we're able to relate to each other so deeply. Um, so, yeah, I mean. <laughs> and regardless of religion, right? I mean, yeah. it's not that spark doesn't care that all roads lead to Rome in the sense of whatever the language you use to that resonates for you to speak of your God or the divine. That's your language. I don't need your language to feel the God, the same God. Right. So I feel like um, I feel like we get we get stuck in semantics sometimes. And it's really the sparks that we really need to be focused on. And I do. I just need to say that I'm not. It sounds like I'm all calm. I'm not like 15 lights, red lights later. I'm mad. Like I'm swearing and I'm mad. And I'm also like, I get it. Thank you. And I'm mad. Like I'm, you know, God and I have to chat sometimes. I and mean, he doesn't chat, but I chat. 
And, um, you know, so I, I, I don't want it to make it sound like, oh, I'm just so like, I just listen. No, sometimes I go grumbling and sometimes I, I got raked over the coals a couple of years ago. And, you know, even when it was happening and I was in such pain and I, I was like, I understand I need to get through this. I don't really understand. I don't understand, but I understand that I need that this is you are. There is a reason for this because there's a reason for everything. And I don't understand the reason and I'm in pain, but. I, I have faith that there's a reason and maybe I'll learn, maybe I'll know what it is eventually, which in that case I did. And maybe I won't, that's not really my, that's not, it's kind of beside the point. It's like, God's not here to make us understand that. Like he, you know, all his ways or her ways. He's not, that's not, that's not the point. The point is to listen. Yes. Listen. Mind. And I'm going to say this to our dear listeners. God is in the dirt which means you have to go into your garden and weed. I have so many weeds in my garden. <laughs> I will be weeding later. And compost them. <laughs> Gabrielle, is there oh anything else you'd like to share with us? You've been remarkable. <laughs> oh, I haven't thanks. had this much fun um, in a while. This is great. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, no, I mean, it's been such a pleasure, you guys. This has been so fun and like I said, I was a little nervous. I might have picked a different song if I'd been less nervous. But um, I really, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I really, you know, thank you guys very much. And I, you know, I, it's just been an honor. So thank mm -hmm. you both. I just want to say to everyone that um, we're so grateful to Gabrielle. And don't forget the B. It's Gabrielle B. McLean. Get that B in there because that's her website. Um, I want you to take a look at her art, please. And thank you so much again for sharing your wisdom, your inspiration, and just uh, uh, how your life has unfolded in such a magnificent way. We now move on to the flow portion of our podcast. I will be reading my poem titled One in a Thousand. It started with a craving, not mine for once. My husband hankered for a fish burrito, flaky and fried just right. I jumped into my car to pick up our online order, and the five-minute drive was just enough time for me to pause and ask him, God, what he would have me do today. Go up to the lady with the sad smile. Ask to pray for her. A clear and concise directive I grimaced, still uncertain I was hearing from him. Okay, Lord, I will. Give me the strength. What even is social anxiety? All I can see are souls waiting to be touched by the Spirit. Lord, I am only a vessel, earthen and open, yielding to the move beyond understanding. I quietly picked up my food, then sank back down, my nerves prickling. Empty stairs, open mouths, coldness pervading the store. I trudged back to the front, nudged gently by the one who gave me the okay to look like a fool for the sake of the kingdom, in an effort to nurture some hope for a nameless, faceless other. As if in a dream, I quietly asked her if I could pray for her, and there was no hesitation. Her eyes were still sad. But she opened up to me, the words spilling out as if they had been kept inside for far too long, shrinking back in that familiar fear. Her voice trembled when she revealed that she had suffered a molar pregnancy. The words struck like lightning, 
In a flash, I recalled my own molar loss, how alone I felt knowing the baby I had wanted more than anything had become a cluster of tumors threatening to turn malignant. She told me of her recent blood draw, and I recalled each appointment, the fear cloistering like a fist. I suddenly knew that the spirit had led me right to this kindred soul, one who had held, then lost, her entire world in one cruel moment. I don't recall precisely what I prayed, but onlookers shrank as I surrendered to the spirit to allow him to intercede with words of healing and compassion, speaking life over her, reminding her that because of his stripes, she is healed. One in a thousand met one in a thousand in the midst of chaos, both of us held together by his perfect peace. Back in my car, I wept in amazement of his love for his people, how intimately he cares, how little I know of his mysteries. You're still here, sister. You will live and not die. You too will see the light that has driven out the darkness of grief. He is drawing you to his arms and desires to give you life in abundance. Your great loss will someday be your testimony and you too will walk out victorious. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Create to Heal podcast. We are so grateful for this journey and the time we've shared together. We invite you to send us your gems of joy. Please email us at pv at patriciavarga.com. My initials pv at patriciavarga.com. We look forward to connecting with you on our next Create to Heal episode. Thank you.